What's up, everybody? We are back. It is now time for episode three of the Everything Lacrosse podcast here to talk about Division Two, Division Three Men's National Championships. We'll touch on first a little bit of the Division One Women's National Championship, which I must say, out of Memorial Day weekend, um, it's a tight it's a tight running between the Division Three Men's Final. Um, and, and this game, but the Division One women's final was a crazy game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely insane. Uh, congratulations to James Madison. The Dukes win their first ever national championship, 16-15 over Boston College. This game, from what I read, from what I saw, a little bit of it, it did not disappoint. Cam, what do you think about the women's tournament in general in this game, this game today? Well, I think it's just a great testament to where the women's game is going because, I mean... How, what were the, the two close semifinal games and then a one-goal final? I mean, it's just it's exciting stuff to see from that side. Mm-hmm. I think when you look at what's going on in the men's tournament this year across all divisions and then you look at what's going on in the women's tournament, I think the women's tournament this year has been a lot more exciting in terms of back-and-forth action. Maybe, you know, as a guy who primarily watches men's lacrosse i enjoy you know having these men's superstars that we watch Uh, i think the games are interesting even when there's not a lot of lead change but if you want intrigue and excitement and back and forth action and teams throwing punches at each other that's the girls game at least that this tournament has shown uh so just congratulations to james madison again boston college a hell of a year too uh absolutely incredible can't wait to follow up on more of the women's game at all divisions next year it's going to be insane. Once again, go Dukes. Uh, all right, game one today in Foxborough. Division three men's championship between Wesleyan, the Cardinals, and Salisbury Seagulls. Ended 8-6 uh, because of a, two kind of late goals from Salisbury, and they, they gave it kind of a run in the last eight minutes of the game, but it didn't feel like an 8-6 game for me, Cam. How did it feel mm-hmm. for you? No, it, I mean, right from the get-go, you had Wesleyan come out really strong. Um, I think it was, was it 4 nothing. It was 4 nothing. Every game, four, yeah. side note, Cam, just sorry to cut you off. Yeah. Every game played in Foxborough this weekend, whether it was D1, Division 2, Division 3, has started at least 4 nothing, and there have been no lead changes in any game in Foxborough mm-hmm. so far. So, yes, this game started 4-0, like every game before it. Um, and I just think, I mean... Again, the whole with with big leads at the beginning, I just think the team that was down just never really recovered. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of a pattern that we're starting to see over the weekend. Um, but I just think Wesleyan came to play. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. Um, I mean, we even commented in in warmups. I mean, watching Salisbury, they just seemed comfortable. They seemed they seemed ready to go. But then as soon as the game started, it just seemed. They got one goal scored on them, and then they just kind of, it seemed like they stopped. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they made some runs late, like you said, um, to make it close and interesting, but it really just never felt, it felt like a 5-10 to 10 goal game um, after that first little spurt. Mm-hmm. It did. Uh, two things I want to highlight for the Wesleyan Cardinals. Uh, one, I knew they had kind of a good face-off guy. I saw him in some matchups between Tufts and between RIT, I thought he dominated today. I don't have the face the face off stats in front of me, but I I did thought I did think that he he really dominated at least that first quarter, which helped them get out to that early lead. Anytime you could jump off, 
jump off the bus into a 4-0 lead uh, in a national championship game. That's got to be disheartening uh, to the other team. And second of all, that zone is absolutely a killer. That is, it gives me hope for the Syracuse basketball season. I'll give you that. If if a team can win, if a team can win a national championship like that against an offense like Salisbury, uh, running a zone, Syracuse, you've got a good shot in the 2000. 2019 basketball season coming up. 2018-2019 basketball season. Can't wait. Go Orange, as always. Uh, but that zone was just a killer. It looked like a basketball game out mm-hmm. there. Their defense, they were they were baiting passes, and then they were hopping in the passing lane and just knocking it down, picking it off. It was insane to see a zone mm-hmm. defense work like that. Yeah, uh, coming come in as a defensive player. I mean, you see, you see zones across any sport. I mean whether it's basketball or in lacrosse. I mean, you don't see it too much because normally teams dominate zones. Mm-hmm. Um, they just they have their plays, they have their sets. Um, but it just seemed like Salisbury, I don't know if they didn't scout very well, if they didn't, didn't do things that they needed to do, or if it just came down to Wesleyan played that zone um, as well as they could have. Um, but it just seemed like everything was working for them. Um, I mean, even some of their slides that they had to um, to do, it just nothing seemed to phase that zone. It's very true. I think, um, you know, as an offense, as an offensive-minded game, as is where we're at in the lacrosse community right now. It's it's truly about the offense. I feel like, and the and the faceoff is growing, but I don't see. I don't see the defense taking over anywhere in the short period in terms of you know what to really watch for. I. Uh, when you run a zone, you just assume there's going to be, you know, the the t- other team snipers are going to get into shooting lanes and just rock it off a few goals, shoot low, shoot high. The goalie's never going to know where it's going. They're still going to be able to score. Uh, most of the time when you see teams run a zone, it's because they don't have the athletes to run man or they're getting blown by. So it's like, okay, a defense mechanism. It's a defense mechanism where teams are like, oh, okay, we're getting in the zone because we're going to be too bad. Salisbury didn't seem like they had too many up top shots or even good shooters at that. And then they had uh, the Wesleyan goalie Otto Bohan make eleven saves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what really you know stood out for me was when Salisbury got it back to a two goal game. They had the ball for like the last three and a half minutes, yeah. and they were dodging the zone, which is yeah. something that is just so core in terms of something you don't do when you look at a zone yeah. when you. When you do not, when you're playing against the zone, you do not dodge it. Yeah. When you're playing against the zone in basketball, you do not dribble into the zone. You pass it around, you get open shots. You know, you you might draw a little bit, you might step in and get people to come to you, but you don't go fully in the middle. And we saw the ball on the ground at least five times in the last three minutes. Salisbury ended up coming up with all of them. You know, good GB play, but when you when you put the ball on the ground five times in the last three minutes. It's kind of you know imperfect chaos that you don't want that you're mm-hmm. wasting time. So I was I was a little disappointed to see that from a, a seasoned team like Salisbury, and I just thought it was a testament to how well Wesleyan's defense was playing. Yeah, and I don't know, I don't know if you can check really fast or if we know what the shots were, but I just felt like Salisbury was just missing because I mean you talk about the last two to three minutes that they had the possession for, um, they just were missing the cage, and I think. I think the goalie made one, one or two good saves in that whole spurt, but I mean, really, it just came down to they were missing the cage, and I, I mean, I don't know all that much about Salisbury or what their shooters are like, but it just seemed like I mean everything was missing, um, and I obviously when you're missing, you're not going to be scoring or you're not going to have a, as good of a chance to score, 
as if you're putting it on cage and making the goalie save it. Um, so I think that also kind of worked in Wesleyan's favor. Um, they were definitely the zone definitely forced Salisbury to shoot a lot of long shots, which obviously today they didn't seem comfortable with because they were missing a lot of shots. So that's just my analysis of that. I see 28 shots for the Seagulls right now that I'm counting. Uh, Otto Bohan made 11 saves, had six goals against that. 17 shots on cage. Yep. So 17 shots on cage. He saves 11 of them. And that, that leaves another 11 shots that didn't even hit with most of them probably coming in the final few minutes. Mm-hmm. Because before the, final, before the final quarter, they weren't even getting a ton of shots off because they were turning the ball over. Yep. Um, so just once again, credit to Wesleyan, first ever D3 championship. You guys deserved it. You really, you know, you didn't hammer anybody like the game we're about to talk about, but you locked it down. And that's what you needed to do to beat Salisbury. Congratulations. Mm-hmm to the Cardinals. Cam, I don't even want to talk about this game because it's going to be a three-minute recap, guys. It was a murder. (laughs) There were crimes happening in Gillette Stadium that should not have been allowed. I'm sorry if you watched the live stream because it it hurt. Um, The stage seemed a little bit too big for St. Leo in the Division II National Championship. And I try to say that carefully because obviously they had to beat some teams to get there. Uh, but I saw a great exchange between between some analysts on uh, Twitter with uh, Lacrosse Film Room. Ended up tweeting, one team beat two solid teams, blew out two solid teams to get in the national championship. And one team in the lower part of the bracket, which is traditionally, you know, the lower teams, the worst part, the the... The teams that don't play as well as the North, because the North is, you know, traditionally the hotbed. All the best players are playing up North. So the South part of the bracket is weaker. That's the word I'm looking for, weaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a team with two one-goal wins in, from the weaker part of the bracket versus a team that was blowing out everybody in the North. Mm-hmm. Um, on our previous podcast, we talked about that if Merrimack could – that if it was going to be a blowout, it was going to be Merrimack. Yeah. And that if they could extend this lead – uh, they're obviously going to win. We also talked about maybe it could stay close relatively, and it was never. It was never close. One nothing was as close as it got. One, yeah, and I'm pretty, you know, you talk about that, and it's funny because they play that, you know, this is our play of the game, and they put it up on the big screen. The play of the game was the first goal of the game, mm-hmm. which was a normal step-down shot. There were other very cool plays that could have happened. At one point, there was a pole who was running. He grabbed a ball that was about to go out of bounds, backwards flipped it, the attackman caught it one-handed, threw it to a guy in the middle, threw it to another guy who caught it, spun around, and finished. That's my play of the game, 100%. Mm-hmm. But the play of the game that the NCAA picked was the first goal of the game, which kind of seemed like a shot because that's as close as it got. That's as close as it got. Uh, the quarter spreads were 6-0, 7-1, 5-3, Mary Mack had Sean Black, number 29, three goals, four assists. Christian Thomas, number 39, three goals, seven assists. That's two players with more points than St. Leo mm-hmm. as a team. Uh, now, obviously, just knowing math in general, if you have one player with more points than a team, that's that equals a win for the other team. But it just there's not a lot we can talk about other than the fact that I was really disappointed at the end of the game with St. Leo's lack of discipline. I think... Yeah. 
if you're going to be playing out of your element and you're going to be getting blown out, I really would have loved to seen like a respectful, gracious, like, hey, let's enjoy the moment. Let's get the subs in. Let's let's just ride this one out, have a good time. Yep, play with a lot of heart and energy. But we saw them lose control of their emotions, and we see uh, throughout the course of the game there were six penalty minutes for St. Leo, which may not seem like a lot, but traditional lacrosse games, that's a lot of penalty minutes for mm-hmm. one team to take. And five and a half minutes of those, no, five minutes of those coming in the second half, one one minute and a half, two minutes, three and a half minutes coming in the third quarter, a minute and a half coming in the fourth quarter. And these penalties are slashing, interference, unnecessary roughness, unsportsmanlike conduct, a cross check, which was a cross check to the head, and holding. So two of those two of those are just normal lacrosse penalties that you're gonna see. Other the other four are things that are literally have unnecessary and unsportsmanlike in the word. And I was really just disappointed to see that. Um, I I thought they were a little bit out of their element. I did not think it was going to be as bad as it was. Um, but yeah, I was just disappointed, not in the final score, even just in how the Lions reacted to what Mary Mack was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about that, Cam? No, I totally agree with you. Um, it just it just kind of seemed they just I think it kind of. Um, shocked him for a second. I mean, obviously, when you go through and you have these close games and you're playing well, you expect when you get to that next game, you know, you're riding your momentum, you're, you're going to play well or at least compete. And I think it just, when they got to that point, they realized, hey, this is not going very well. Um, and some of the players just seemed, I mean, seemed angry. I mean, that's that's kind of what it came down to. And I would totally understand. I'd probably be in the same situation if I was getting beat like that. Um, but at the same time, you got to really control your emotions and and channel that into, you know, all right, this next play, if I'm a defender, I'm going to really work to defend this guy. Or if mm-hmm. I'm on attack, I'm really going to work to get this next goal. Um, I know we were always taught um, in, in any sport, um, just make the next play. Um, it, it doesn't matter what what's going on in the game, but you can always con- control your effort and your emotions. Um, and I just feel like they didn't do that very well as the game wore on and they let they let some stuff um they let their emotions get too hot and I think it was it was dangerous definitely for the Merrimack players but also dangerous for the St. Leo players because I mean that's that's not how a game should be played no matter no matter how much you're losing or winning by Mm -hmm. one thing and you know what that's all we'll say about the division two championship game there's not a ton of positives to say other than the fact that Mary Mac, you definitely deserve that game. Your fans were insane. You covered up pretty much that whole section. Uh, you traveled well. You dominated. You never left a doubt. Uh, congratulations on your first ever Division II National Championship, the Mary Mac Warriors. Uh, absolutely awesome performance by you guys. Just all tournament, really. And then to cap it off today in the way you did, really a special season. Um, a couple things I noticed today. I was actually kind of disappointed with. Gillette Stadium in terms of their production uh, of today, and here's why. Um, and it started at the end of the Division Three game. Um, a lot of people heard. I saw it on Twitter. I talked about it with UCAM. Uh, when Salisbury was called forward to receive their trophy for the second place team, they were called the Salisbury Sea Lions. And for a team that if they won today, would have won their 13th national championship, which ties a record 
for most championships at the Division Three level. They would have tied Hobart, who won nine in a row. I just I counted today watching watching their name keep sliding up on the screen. Hobart won in this year. Hobart won in this year. They won nine in a row. So Salisbury's a dynasty, and to be called the Sea Lions just kind of shows. I don't know. It's not disrespectful because it's an honest mistake at the same time, but it's really unprofessional. I would say, yeah. unprofessional. And the same thing happened at the start of the Division Two game. Uh, at all these games, they show whatever two teams are playing. They show like highlights from the last game of those two teams, along with cutouts of like the trophy being made, and it and it represents these two teams, like where they come from and now they're playing for the trophy. And at the start of the Division Two game, they had the same highlights. From the Salisbury, from the Salisbury win over Gettysburg in the semifinals, and then from the Wesleyan win over RIT, they were playing that right before the Division Two game as we're waiting to do starting lineups. And it just like, as a as a player, if I was looking up there ready to see like my journey, ready to get pumped up two minutes before the game starting lineups are about to go, and then I see the Division Three is up there, again that just shows to me, uh, you know, a sense of unprofessionalness is that a word unprofessionalness an era an aura of being unprofessional yeah. we're not scholar athletes in here guys <laughs> we try to be but we're not uh you understand what i'm saying i was super disappointed in that and you know and it comes in a year where we're talking about problems with the mll we're, pro- we're talking about problems with lsn and their production a little bit we're talking about problems with trying to get us on mainstream tv and then the stadium that's hosting the mecca and the weekend of all weekends the one that everyone looks forward to in lacrosse to have that happen even at the division two and division three level which isn't getting as much airtime which isn't as getting as much support as division one it was kind of disappointing for me and you know when uh somebody tweeted out today the uh, attendance and that's one of the things i want to hit on yesterday uh attendance is attendance is down i'm pretty sure from 2016 in philadelphia uh it's about the same as it was last year but for the for the weekend of all weekends in lacrosse to have mistakes like this i'm really hoping to not see any of those tomorrow uh the last day of the college lacrosse season you know this is the pinnacle of our sport memorial day memorial day championship is what everybody thinks of uh when they think of division one lacrosse um and so i really hope not to see those tomorrow i was really disappointed in that today but you know, it could just be human error, honest mistakes. <clears throat> that was just kind of my hot take. Second hot take, you guys saw this on Twitter. You guys reacted to it. You guys loved it. Division Three lacrosse is probably the best <laughs> the best games we're seeing this weekend. Yeah. Unless we see a killer championship game from the D1 men's tomorrow, which is totally possible with Duke and Yale. Uh, Division Three continues to put out this product, continues to put out this great product. Division Two games always kind of boring. Um, and the Division One games are hit or miss. Yep. And, you know, not bashing Division Two guys. I play Division Two. I love Division Two, But there's there's this hatred around these lower levels and what they do. And I just want to let you guys know that Everything Lacrosse podcast, Everything Lacrosse account is 100% part of the hashtag Love All Divisions movement because Division Three Lacrosse is killing it right now. Um, absolutely insane performance. Uh, the lacrosse community loves Division Three lacrosse on Twitter, um, so just want to just want to point that out. Uh, I really hope we get a great game tomorrow, but if not, then it was Division Three that took us home, mm-hmm. really. Um, 
and I hope you all enjoyed. I hope you all got the chance to watch that game. If you're in Foxborough, that's great. If you weren't in Foxborough, I hope you tuned in on NCAA.com or the app because that is that was could be the best game we're going to see all weekend. Absolutely. I really hope it's not. I really hope Yale and Duke produce a barn burner tomorrow and we get some lead changes because mm-hmm. we haven't had any lead changes in Foxborough. Mm-hmm. And I hope the game doesn't start 4 nothing because that's <laughs> been the story. All right, guys. Kind of short today. Uh, we talked about the Division Three game a lot. Uh, the Division Two game didn't have a ton to talk about, and then we hit on Division One. Thank you guys so much for tuning back in. We will see you tomorrow. We're talking about releasing another video that's more about us, and you know we just appreciate all the love and support. We we're gonna be tweeting tomorrow, putting up an Instagram post or two. Uh, it's been a great weekend. Stay tuned for another podcast tomorrow. Going to be probably another short one, just recapping the whole weekend, recapping the championship game. And that is it, folks. We are out of here on round two. Thanks for tuning in. It's been great. We will see you next time.